Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We conclude tonight our verse-by-verse study in the book of Nehemiah. I thought it might be good if we just kind of recap the whole book. How about that? Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah, if you were with us, you know Nehemiah is told the walls of Jerusalem are torn down and the gates are burned with fire. In chapter 2, he requested from the king to be sent, to be safe, and to be supplied. The king granted his request. Nehemiah is off to assess the situation in Jerusalem. In chapter 3, Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem and he walked around the walls. And we looked at how the walls of Jerusalem correlate parallel with the walk of the Christian. That was a pretty fascinating study, if I remember correctly. And we learned from chapter 3, when it comes to building, no one can do everything, but everybody can do something. In chapters 4, 5, and 6, we see the struggle the Jewish people faced while trying to build the walls. Remember in chapter 4, the people were faced with discouragement. In chapter 5, the people had to deal with division from within. In chapter 6, the people had to deal with distraction from without. Remember, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Gershom, the Arab, sent message to Nehemiah in chapter 6 to come down to the plain of, anybody know? Oh, no. I mean, oh, yes, you're right. The plain, oh, no. And remember, I told you, whenever the enemy wants to meet with you and have lunch in a place called, oh, no, you say what? You're such good students. You say, oh, no. But we learned in chapter six, when you set your heart to serve the Savior, there's going to be adversity. The Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. We learn building and, ba- building and battling go hand in hand. The good news is Jesus is our strong tower, our shield and our buckler, our rock of defense. And in the final analysis, we have the victory. We learned this in chapter six. We have the victory because Jesus already got the victory over sin, sickness, Satan, death, disease, and the devil. Remember chapter 6, we can say a better amen than that. And remember chapter 6, verse 15. The walls of Jerusalem are finished in 52 days. 52 days of sweat, 52 days of work, 52 days of trial in one hand and sword in the other, 52 days of looking over their shoulder for the enemy, 52 days of dealing with problems within and problems without, 52 days of attacks and rumors, and distractions, 52 days, and finally, the work is completed. Chapter 7 is really a good sleep aid. Remember I told you? There's a census taken, 
And uh, there's a list of all those living in Jerusalem at that time. Chapter 8, the walls are built and great things are happening. Ezra stood up to read the word of God and the people rejoiced and praised God. And chapter 9 is prayer is a prayer of repentance and celebration of the goodness of God. Remember, you might want to write this down. Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, and Daniel 9 are all prayers of repentance. Nehemiah 9 is the longest prayer recorded in the Bible. It's one thing to pray a passionate prayer. It's another thing to live an obedient life after you say amen. Chapter 9 is the passionate prayer. Chapter 10, they make a commitment to an obedient life. Remember, they ratified their commitment by entering a covenant. Remember, I told you that uh, the word covenant uh, means, uh, means to cut. Uh, they, they, they would cut covenant. And actually, that word carries itself or connects itself to the animal sacrifice as they would cut the lamb and cut the animal. And so when you made a promise or in the Old Testament or you made a vow, you cut covenant. You really didn't make a covenant. You cut covenant. And there in chapter 10, uh, they ratify their commitment by cutting covenant. Remember, they made a vow or a covenant to right living. They promised to live a separated life. Remember, they cut covenant to right relationships. They said, we will not give our daughters and wives over to foreigners. They cut covenant, number three, to right rest as they promised to keep the Sabbath. And number four, we talked about in chapter 10, they cut covenant to right responsibilities. All of this is in chapter 10. And then in chapter 11, it gives us a list of those who lived in Jerusalem and outside of Jerusalem. Chapter 12, the last time, is a list of the priests and the Levites and their dedication and their service in chapter 12. And the worship team, they're dedicating the temple and the worship team is there and the choir is there and they're all giving thanks. Look at chapter 12 in verse 43. Look at chapter 12, verse 43. Also that day, are you looking at verse 43? Say amen. Amen. Also that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. Remember, they're dedicating the temple and thanking God for it. And everybody's gathered together and men, women, and children are there and they're rejoicing. For God made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also. So that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. I love chapter 12, verse 43. It says, God made them rejoice with great joy. There was tremendous experience of worship for everybody. Their joy and their worship was a testimony to others. And what they heard was not so much singing itself. They heard joy. Interesting. God's not concerned with volume. Did you hear me? God's not concerned with volume. God is concerned with heart. God's not concerned with volume. God's concerned with heart. I remember some years ago when I first started going to church, I used to think God was concerned with volume. Anybody else? Just me? Okay. Well, I did. I thought, you know, the louder you are in church, the more spiritual you are. So needless to say, we were really loud. Everybody. And it was really loud. And I used to think God hears you when you're, you know, when you pray. You ever been in a prayer meeting and, or a prayer circle and somebody's praying really loud? I mean, they're praying really loud. 
like really, like you're holding hands like this and they start praying really loud and you like one eye go. You know what I mean? And nobody says anything, but you got the one eye open like, am I the only one that looks like really loud? That's super loud. It's super loud. It's like, whoa, okay. God's not deaf. Amen. Write that down. God's not deaf. He can hear just fine. And God is not concerned with volume. He's concerned with heart. We come tonight to the final chapter in Nehemiah chapter 13. The walls stood strong, but their spiritual walls were crumbling. Chapter 13, Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem after being gone for some time, only to find all the promises and all that cutting covenant that the people made in chapter 10, right living and right relationships and right rest and right responsibilities. All those promises that were made have been broken. Let me give you an outline that we're going to work from tonight concerning those promises that were broken. Number one, we'll talk about the submission promise in verses one and two. Secondly, we'll talk about the separation promise in verses 3, 4 through 9, and verse 28, the separation promise. And then thirdly, we'll talk about the support promises in verses 10 through 13. They promise support. They promise separation. They promise submission. And then finally, the Sabbath promises, verses 15 through 22. I've titled this sermon, Broken Promises. Nehemiah chapter 13, saints. This is the last time you get to say amen in Nehemiah, the beginning of the chapter. Nehemiah 13, look at verse 1. If you're looking at it, let me hear you say amen. amen. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found, watch the saints, that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but they hired Balaam. Write it in your margins, Numbers 23. Numbers 23. They hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. And so it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Saints, let's stop right there. Give me your attention. Verse 1 through 3 actually continue from chapter 12. The people are rejoicing, and it was on that day that they read from the Torah, the book of Moses from the Torah. And they realized that they were not to have the Ammonites and the Moabites living among them. Why? Because Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God told, remember, God told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who, anybody know, curse you, you know it. And the command about the Moabites and the Ammonites is a simple fulfillment of this promise because they didn't bless Israel. Now, who are the Ammonites and who are the Moabites? Well, I'm glad you asked. Genesis chapter 19, the angel of the Lord, perhaps you're familiar with the story. The angel of the Lord takes Lot's wife and his daughters by the hand, drags them out of Sodom. They said, we can't destroy the city until you're out of it. 
somehow, we don't know how, but somehow Lot grabbed the wineskin while leaving and he ends up in a cave. His daughters get daddy drunk and they sleep with him because they don't want to be childless. The older daughter gives birth to Moab and the younger daughter gives birth to Ben-Ami. Ben-Ami, son of the Ammonites. So the Moabites and the Ammonites bloodline goes back to Abraham because Lot was the nephew of Abraham. When the children of Israel make their journey out of Egypt into the promised land, Moab and Ammon didn't help them, didn't give them food and water. And so God remembers that, that they weren't a blessing to God's people. Also, God's word commanded specifically that the Ammonites and the Moabites not enter the assembly of God. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3 through 4, I have it for you on the screen. And the Ammonite and the Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. Are you getting this? And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Now, verse two tells us they hired Balaam to curse the people of God. Again, Numbers 23. And notice in verse three, it tells us when they heard the word, they began to separate the people from the Ammonites and the Moabites. So that's the good news. When they heard the word, they began to obey the word. Point number one in our outline, the submission promise. Now, although when they heard the word, they began to obey the word, Keep in mind chapter 10. Now, write this down. Go look up this stuff in your own time because we don't have time at night. We got 30 verses to cover. Chapter 10, verse 29. They had previously made a promise to observe all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes. So they had broken their promise from chapter 10, verse 29. They've broken their promise. And now they hear the word of God and they get back to it. That's great. Listen, we all fall short. Somebody say amen. Amen. We all break promises. Say amen. Amen. And we all mess up. Go ahead. Say amen. amen. But when you mess up, listen, you got two choices. You can either continue in your foobar. What's that, Rodney? You fouled up beyond all recognition. Write it down. You can continue in it. Or you can determine to obey God. It's never too late to do the right thing. Are you glad about that? It's never too late. It's never too late to do the right thing. And how many of you know the Christian life is a series of new beginnings? It's never too late to start obeying God. You know, we've heard people say that God is a God of the the second chance. Uh, And that's true. And you've heard me say he's also the God of the third chance, the fourth chance, the fifth chance, the sixth chance, the tenth chance, the fiftieth chance. Hopefully you wise up and don't have to get that far. (laughs) But if you do, he's a forgiving, loving, always gracious God who will forgive you and you can always start over with God. So where you at tonight? Fubar? Bowed up beyond all recognition? Well, start over. 
Just ask the Lord even tonight, even right now. Lord, help me to start over. Help me, God, to just make clean slate and begin to obey your word, just like they did here in our text. They began to obey God's word, and they didn't begin to make excuses. They could have made excuses. They could have had a hundred reasons not to obey God. They could have said, well, you know, because remember, the Ammonites and the Moabites are living among the people of Israel. So they could have said, you know what, you know, you know what, the Ammonites and the Moabites, they're not so bad. I mean, they're really nice people. The Ammonites, I mean, they're, they're great. I mean, really, the Ammonites and Moabites, they are nice, but they'll give you the shirt off their back. They are nice people. So why should we kick them out? I mean, you know, things have changed. Times have changed. Things are different now. You know, that was antiquated, and God said that back then. But it could have made a hundred different excuses. The answer is not making excuses. The answer is obey God. Do what God has told you to do. And that's what they did. They obeyed the word. Verse 3 tells us they separated the mixed multitude. The submission promise, number one. Point number two, the separation promise. We find that in verses 3, actually verse 3, 4 through 9 and 28. But let's read verses 4 through 9. Chapter 13, looking at verse 4, if you're looking at it, say amen. Now, before this, watch this. You're going to get a kick out of this. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storehouse of the house of God, was allied to, hmm, things that make you go, hmm. And he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offering, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine, the oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers and the offerings for the priests. But, but during all this, I was not, Nehemiah says, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. And then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king, and I came back to Jerusalem and discovered, please circle this, the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. And then I commanded them to clean the room. And I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Saints, stop right there. After the walls were completed, Nehemiah needed to go back to work to Persia. Remember, he was a cupbearer. And he only asked for leave. He didn't ask to go live there. He asked for leave. So the walls are completed. The gates are up. The place is dedicated. People are celebrating. They made their oaths, everything. Nehemiah is a great leader. He got everything. Y'all get this? He got everything in line and everything in order. And then he went back to work. As he was a king's cupbearer. And somebody was filling in for him while he was gone. So he went back to work to Persia. Many Bible scholars believe that Nehemiah had been gone from Jerusalem for maybe 10, 12 years. And then decided to return to Jerusalem to get things back in place. Uh, We don't know what prompted him to uh, go back to Jerusalem. Perhaps he heard some funny business was going on in Jerusalem. Maybe the Holy Spirit just prompted him, as the Holy Spirit does, uh, just 
hey, you know what? You need to get back to Jerusalem. Maybe, just maybe, it was time for him to retire. And he's thinking, you know what? I want to retire in Jerusalem. So I want to be buried in Jerusalem. So we don't really know what caused him to go back. But when he goes back, he comes back only to find that Jerusalem is filled with compromise. Can you imagine? His heart sunk because when he left, the people had cut covenant. They were rejoicing only to come back to find those same people that signed the covenant are the same people that are breaking the same covenant. Chapter 13 is the account of what takes place when Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem. Interesting. They make, watch this, they make four promises, vows, or they cut covenant four times in chapter 10. It's also very interesting. Our outline has four points. They break those same four vows or covenants or promises in chapter 13. Notice in verse four in your Bibles, go ahead and look at it. It says before this. Before this means, before Nehemiah returned, Eliashib the priest, who we met in chapter 3, was in charge of the temple. Before Nehemiah came back, Eliashib allowed Tobiah the Ammonite to move in. So not only were they not to be part of the fellowship of Israel, but Eliashib allows a guy to rent a room in the temple. Verse 5 tells us Eliashib cleaned out one of the storerooms. Are you looking at verse 5? Cleaned out one of the storerooms where you would keep the tithe, the frankincense, the grain, and all the stuff. And he let Tobiah rent the room right there in the temple. So Nehemiah gets back. He sees what's going on. He goes, what in the world is going on? Now, remember, when Nehemiah first came to Jerusalem to assess the situation, to assess the damage, his heart was broken because the walls were torn down and the gates were burned and the people were exposed to the enemy. And now he comes back and obviously the spiritual walls of the people are now down. The first time he came back, the physical walls were down. You getting that? Now he comes back and the spiritual walls have come down. And Nehemiah, as you read this chapter, Nehemiah is passionate about church. I love Nehemiah. He's a great leader. He's a great man of God. And he's passionate about church. Nehemiah is passionate about the things of God and particularly the house of God. Notice in verse 8, it tells us he wept, it grieved him bitterly, it says. Uh, Fast forward to verse 10. He says, I realized. Those are the eyes of a leader. I realized. A leader, someone that's called by God, someone who cares about the things of God, is looking, paying attention. Focused on what God has called them to do. Focused on the ministry. Nehemiah said, I realized. I I wept bitterly. It grieved me bitterly. Verse 11 says, I contended. Verse 17 says, I contended. 
Nehemiah is serious about the temple of God, and so should we be. And honestly, you've heard me say it a thousand times. Honestly, I, I really, my heart grieves for the church. Today, I think the church is in serious trouble. I really do. I think the church is in grave danger. I think there is a, 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 a lack of reverence in the church. I think there is a lack of um, respect. There's a lack of respect in the house of God. There's a lack of reverence for a whole, there's a, there's a lack of fear for God in the church. I'm not talking about in Calvary Chapel, I'm talking about in the universal church. There's a lack of a fear of God. If you know what I'm talking about, raise your right hand. You know, it's just a lack of fear in the church. We don't fear God anymore. We don't fear anything. And be like, I ain't afraid of nothing. Well, you should be afraid of something. How about be about fearful of God? Not like, oh, God's going to get me. I'm afraid of God. Not like that. But in a sense of reverence and holiness and understanding that, that God is gracious and merciful, and God is a judging God. Well, God doesn't judge anybody. Yes, he does. Who told you that? <laughs> Judgment and love go hand in hand. It's true. That's not a sermon. We can't go there. <laughs> but there's a lack of reverence for the house of God. You know, many things that we do here at Calvary Chapel, I do because I'm seeking to and we talk to leadership and the staff pastors because we're seeking to have an environment where God is reverenced, where, it, it, where this sanctuary is a holy place for God. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.